So everybody look back at this camera. See how it's swirling around right now? And now it's red, that means that we're recording. So <clears throat> if you ever wonder why we're waiting, it's because I'm waiting for that red light. <clears throat> With that said, let's get started. I made a promise that I would try to keep things succinct. I think you will agree that I've done a pretty good job. I've stayed under an hour for each sermon this month. And now it might be the shortest sermon that we have. So we'll see. Because today I'm going to be summarizing the concept of patience. So patience requires practice. What I mean by the idea that patience requires practice is it's not something that we can be perfect in, in our actions, but it is something that our actions can perfectly show. So because it's not something that we can be perfect in, because we are in finite shells, we need to con constantly practice it. It's not something that you acquire and then you're just patient. And I think anybody who knows anything about themselves, that's intellectually honest, will understand that just because you have patience, doesn't mean you will always have patience. And that's why we say that there are certain things that just get to us, or we have a certain limit to our patience. So patience requires practice. It takes place in time and space, but we can actually see that it came before time and space. What do I mean by the idea that it came before time and space? Well, patience has been practiced or had perfectly in the Trinity. If you don't know what the Trinity is, <laughs> shameless plug, not shameless. If you don't want to know what the Trinity is, come tonight or tune in at 7, right, on Facebook Live, which people who are tuning in right now should be able to see us on. So tune in again at 7 o'clock or after that um, and ask questions. Now, spoiler for those who don't know what the Trinity is and haven't tuned in, the Trinity is the internal relationship between God and himself. It's kind of how you have a voice in your head, and then you have the things that you do, and they're kind of the same, but they're not the same, because sometimes what you do is different than what's in your head. I don't know if that's confusing, and hopefully it'll be less confusing tonight. But uh, <clears throat> all of it is you. So we can see that the Trinity is patient right from the beginning of time. It's demonstrated in creation itself. So if we look at John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness had not overcome it. So how do we see patience in the Trinity in that particular passage? Well, clearly, <clears throat> we can see the Trinity in this passage. When we say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? We can see the presence that there's a relationship that's going on in the personhood of God, in the substance of God. But with that said, what we have is this really interesting verse that says, He made all things that were made. Now, I don't know about you, but things don't just poof into existence right? There are things that take time and process. Even in the Genesis story, we see that it took God six days to make something. Now, we know that he is God, 
And because we know he's God, we know that he can speak things into existence. And certainly in that process, there were certain parts, irreducible parts that he spoke into existence, like let there be light. But he took time and process and makes note of the fact that in the creation process, there was time and there was space. So picture this. Before there was time and space, there was an infinite God who existed outside of time and space. Completely outside of time and space. So there is no such thing as time. And then all of a sudden he decides to create, and what canvas does he use to create? Time. So patience is right at the beginning, or it's before the beginning, of creation. God chooses being a being that is not subject to time to subject himself to time. An infinite being who always was and created all things chose to do so in time and in process. We see this in the execution of the will within the Trinity. So we look at Luke chapter 22, 42. And this is it's going to be a lot of summary here, and I'm going to give you a lot of verses, okay? So here we go. <clears throat> in execution of his will, we see this in Luke 22, 42, when Christ says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. So this is Jesus as he's about to go to the cross. And he asks God if he's willing to take the cup of suffering from him. What is the definition of patience? Long-suffering, right? The concept of long-suffering. Christ says to God the Father, so two members of the Trinity, Christ says to God the Father that he is willing to wait upon him and even to suffer in order to enact his will. So within the Trinity, we see the execution of God's will being done through patience. The Son waits on the will of the Father, even unto death and struggle. In Mark 13, 32, Jesus says, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. What's he speaking of there? He's speaking of his return. So what does he say? He says, I don't know when it's going to happen. Only the Father knows. So what is Jesus saying? Wait on the Father. I wait for the Father to reveal to me the time when I will return. So even in the Trinity, in an infinite being, we see patience taking place. The Son waits on the timing of the Father, even though he has the right to know the ending of the story. 1 John 5 <clears throat> Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God, and we observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. See, what we see in here is that the love of God is that we keep his commandments the way that the Son kept the commandments of the Father. What's interesting is, he does not perceive the keeping of the commandments to be a burden, not a relative burden anyway. So we see the idea that 
The love of God is that we keep his commandments in the way that the Son kept the commandments of the Father. In Colossians 1.19-23, we see this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So the good news is done through what? A process. A process of the blood of Christ. Everybody knows that the blood of Christ wasn't just pulled with a syringe, right? And it didn't just appear on some sort of statue of Christ where the blood came out of him. No, it was a process. It was a 33-year process. Our atonement, our infinite atonement, happens through the blood of Christ, which was a finite process. And in taking part in that process, what, was, what must we do? We must endure in the process. We must be patient with the process. Christ's blood done in process was God's means of reconciling all things to himself. And you must continue in these things, Paul says. So you are to practice this truth in time. So what are the ways that we practice this truth? Well, what's the prime way that we practice this truth? If you are a Christian, you should have this verse memorized. What is the prime way that we practice this truth? I'll give you a hint. It's the end of Matthew. Why do we even have churches? Why do we even have... Yes, go out into the world and make disciples of all men. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, first of all, we see at the end of it, baptizing them in what? Trinity. And what are we to do with this immersion? We are to make disciples. Making disciples is not a card that you give to somebody. Now you are my disciple. What is the root of disciple? Discipline. Discipline requires that in time and space, we work hard to conform ourselves to a particular type of being. If you have a discipline, then you are considered what? Skilled. That doesn't happen because you give somebody a card where they're now a part of the Christian church. That doesn't happen when you give somebody a card and say, now you're a gym, or a part of a gym. How many people know somebody, or perhaps yourself, who joined a gym once, but were completely undisciplined. 
<laughs> Thank you for being honest. It happens in time and space. We have to practice patience. And for Jim, this is incredibly pertinent, suffering. So, one way we can do that, the prime way is to go, therefore, and make disciples and teach them about the Trinity, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another way that we can do this is we can practice patience in the face of adversity. Of course, this is the prime way that we think about patience, right? In the face of adversity, in the face of difficulty. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you recall, we talked about what this verse was actually saying before. And it is a form of patience. Endurance is a form of patience. Hopomene, if I recall. Patience produces perfection as defined by complete preparedness for any circumstance. So one way that we can practice this is to endure in suffering. John 16.33 says this, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world. You have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Patience and the practice of it means taking peace in the knowledge that Christ has overcome the world. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with a temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. There's that word again. So the practice of patience means standing against persecution and temptation, knowing that God will provide a means of escape. Romans 8.35 says, Who will separate us? Right? This leads into our important passage. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... See, the practice of patience means being convinced that tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and poverty and peril, violence, can never separate you from God's love. And it means not allowing your faith to be shattered by transitory things. That list of things is transitory. It's things that happen in the finite now, but will not happen forever. Even if those things take you to death, we do not live finitely. Our spirit continues beyond death. And my friends, that's as far as those things can take you. So why be afraid of them is what this is saying. Patience dictates that we outlast the torture. 1 Peter 4.12-13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Patience means standing with Christ when you are persecuted, 
knowing that he went before you. And knowing that where he goes, you will also go. Patience means maintaining a presence of mind that is not surprised or disheartened by the presence of difficult things. But instead to have hope in God because difficult things will come your way. But Christ has overcome those things. But of course, it's not enough to simply face trials and persecution with our chin up. We must also face each other with that same level of patience in love. And as believers, it brings me great sadness that this is where we often fail our God. We cannot bear to bear for each other what he bore for us on that cross. And how shameful is that? Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So, love in adversity, which we could call patience, creates family. So in regard to each other, we are to love. That's how we practice patience. We're to love in adversity. 1 Corinthians 6, 1-7 says, When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things amongst yourself? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So, you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. Think about that statement. We're so worried about shaming people. How dare we shame people? Paul, bless his heart, just comes right out and says it. I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits, which with one another is a defeat for you, why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not just accept the injustice, and leave it at that. Why not let yourselves be cheated? This is scary. This is scary stuff. This is so countercultural, isn't it? Why not just accept the injustice perpetrated on me? Why not let myself be cheated? But God teaches me I need to be a good steward of the things I have. I need to protect myself. I need to protect my family. Huh. 
Maybe those people who are saying that should read scripture a little more. Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong. And you cheat even your fellow believers. Patience means allowing yourself to be offended for the sake of the solidarity of the body. Patience means that you don't get to be salty on social media. Because now we have that form, right? Now, instead of just going to the judge and letting it ring in proclamation, we don't even have to get to the judge before we can blast everybody. And how many times have I seen one of my brothers and sisters in Christ posting something inflammatory for the whole world to see about another believer even taking the time to argue about their Christianity and how to interpret these things in front of non-believers. And what does the watching world think? Those idiot Christians and their idiot faith and their idiot God. How about this one? 1 Corinthians 11.33 So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Why is this even in here? When you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home. <laughs> if you're really hungry, eat at home. Why? So that you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. The context of this passage isn't simply waiting. The context of this passage is what communion represents. And communion represents a holy interaction between God and his people. And when people are just taking what they want and saying, oh, I'm hungry, I need to do this, I need to eat this, you know, because I, I get hangry. Well, then what you're doing is you're stealing from the congregation. The opportunity, you're stealing the opportunity for the congregation to come together before God in communion and have this moment of solidarity in their sanctified state. Patience among believers is caring about the whole group and their sanctity, even in seemingly trivial things like eating. It's making sure that everyone understands and, and setting ourselves up for success to be righteous and honorable in all things, even in eating. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So always be humble and always be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Patience with each other is how we should act. And it's not just a finite moment, but it is a lifetime. I beg you. Think about the power of that word, beg. It's not I ask you. It's not implore. It's not even command. 
there is evidence here that Paul understands that he doesn't have the power to make this happen. So instead, he's on his knees because he understands how important it is. So he's willing to beg. I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. In other words, not just to have a moment where you are your best self, but instead to build your whole life around the concept of being tender-hearted toward each other, patient and enduring and loving. He also says, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. We should acknowledge each other's faults in our patience. This isn't a tolerance game. We should acknowledge each other's faults in our patience. Because if we don't acknowledge their faults, then we can't make allowance. We'll talk more about that, what that means when we read the next verse, which is in Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance. There it is again. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must, you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So patience is forgiving the offense of another. Patience is coupled with being tender-hearted toward your brother and sister in Christ. Patience acknowledges the other's faults and makes allowances to secure that person's right standing. How do I get that concept that it makes allowances to secure that person's right standing? Because the word there, to make allowances, is a Greek word. It's anekomai. And it means to hold up oneself, to be erect and firm, and to bear and to endure. So the concept is that when you're making an allowance for somebody, what you're doing is standing strong so that you can endure where they are weak. It's not tolerating the way that we have come to know tolerating in this culture. It's not you being weak because they're weak and then lowering the standard for acceptance, but instead it's you standing strong, being stronger for the sake of that person to bring them to where they need to be. Now imagine that that statement is coupled with the idea of being tender-hearted and forgiving another person. That's quite a dynamic to say that another person is weak in this area, they have wronged you, and that you need to endure their weakness by being strong for them in how you're supposed to be and somehow remain tender-hearted. And we can be this patient with each other because we have a clear hope. Why can we be tender-hearted? 
Why can we be loving? Why can we be patient and endure? Because we have a clear hope. And that clear hope is in a day when all things will be made right by the return of our Savior. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And of course, the context of this, Jeremiah being the weeping prophet, is that judgment is upon Israel. And what is being said to the people of Israel? Be patient with God. Call on the name of the Lord. Wait on him. You deserve what is coming your way, but he has a plan for you. Again, we go back to James 1, 12 through 15. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Practice of patience means working towards God's promise for you, despite the troubles that you are having right now, because you have hope in the crown of life. And this type of hopeful patience brings us in line with God's infinite character, doesn't it? This type of hopeful patience brings us in line with God's infinite character. And this is a quality which we can exercise, which we can practice each day. And because of that, we can live with the qualities of an infinite soul, even in the confines of a finite shell. We can live with the qualities of an infinite soul even in the confines of a finite shell. And patience will be a major part of living infinitely. Because this life is not everything. And there is a life to come. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond any comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, they're transitory, they're fading, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, this time of patience that brings about affliction is temporary. So we keep our eyes not on what we see, not on the torture or the instruments of torture or the rumors of wars and the wars and the famine, the persecution, but instead we keep our eyes on the things that we cannot see, the things which are infinite, because we are no longer finite beings in Christ. The patient will not lose heart because they view things through an infinite 
eternal lens. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Patience allows one to live with an all-encompassing mindset that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Now, make sure in your understanding of this that you don't stop at all things work together for the good. Because it's for the good of those who love God. But it's an all-encompassing mindset. Everything, even the difficult parts, now fit into God's dynamic design for you when you have patience with God. Everything from the cradle to the grave is in God's capable hands. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. And surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Waiting on the Lord allows you to see God's presence despite your fears, despite the battle that rages about you. And this is a promise without end or limit. Do not be anxious. Do not look for a solution. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Yet those who wait for the Lord, those who wait for the Lord, will gain new strength. And they will mount up with wings like eagles. And they will run and not get tired. And they will walk and not become weary. Patience brings a new energy. It brings a strength and a level of incorrigibility in the face of trials. Do you know what incorrigibility is? It's when you don't give up. It's when you are a rebel with a good cause. Somebody calls you incorrigible, it means you won't stand down. Those who wait on the Lord are strong. The patient, because they have an infinite mindset, will never bow again to Satan's lie in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve, who were perfect. Remember, they were perfect, but they were not mature. They were perfect, but they were not patient. The patient will not bow to Satan's lie again, as Adam and Eve once did. Their patience will give them a quality that Adam and Eve didn't even have in their perfection quality of God. See, the practice of patience is not merely waiting on your desired outcome. It is making investments in that inevitable reality. The practice of patience is not merely waiting on your desired outcome. It is making investments in that inevitable reality. And some might call this practice being faithful. So, what sort of faithful investments 
are you making? And do you have patience when you're trying to work for God? Do you expect to see results in your own timing and by your own hands? Do you expect that you will see those results with your human eyes? It is easy when we are doing God's work to become despondent. It is easy when we are doing God's work to be finite-minded. And to forget that some are to plant, some are to water, some are to sow, and some are to reap. And we might not see the end until we see the end. And so sometimes we think to ourselves, what was the point of what I just did? I was sincere for God, but nothing came of it. But the patient knows that the Lord follows through on the plans that he lays. Do you forget that? When you're doing the Lord's, the Lord's work, do you expect that you will see those results with your human eyes? Or do, you, or do you trust God's timing? Do you have patience in the face of adversity or trials? Do you wait on the Lord when circumstances are dark? Do you reach out for God as you're sinking because you tried to walk on water? Or do you continue to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil? Do you wait on the Lord when people are tough or mean or harsh or judgmental or salty? Do you have patience with your fellow believers in your conflicts with other believers? And remember, we are infinitely minded now, right? So we're infinitely minded, but we're finite beings. And that means if we're doing right, that means I'm going to see the rest of you for the rest of this life and the next. But we're also finite beings. That means we're going to get into it with each other over time. Right? So in your conflict with other believers, which is inevitable, perhaps even the other believers in this room, have you stayed away from the wisdom of open rebuke and the wisdom of making allowances for others and traded that in for gossip, possibly even from the outside church. You guys ever heard that phrase, open rebuke? It's from Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says this. Better is open rebuke than a love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What does that mean? That means that a brother who tells you 
what you're doing wrong, or at least what he thinks you're doing wrong, is better than a person who says that they love you, but they're not willing to tell you the truth. It means that the wounds that you get from that person, the, the offense that you take when that person says to you, I think that you're doing something wrong, and that doesn't make sense, we follow the same God, so let me put some knowledge onto you. It means that the wounds that you get from that person are better than the kisses that you get from an enemy. And yet, how we work so hard to avoid conflict. But the scripture says, better is open rebuke. In your conflict with other believers, have you stayed away from the wisdom of open rebuke and the wisdom of making allowances for others? Remember what making allowances means? It means to stand tall and firm so that the other person can connect to the right standard. Similar to open rebuke, right? Have you stayed away from the wisdom of open rebuke and the wisdom of making allowances for others and traded that in for gossip? In other words, instead of talking to somebody about the issue you have, talking around that person about the issue you have and saying, did you hear what this person said to me? Or, you know how this person wronged me? Or, what do you think about what this person did? They really messed up. But I love them. I'm just going to keep that concealed rather than say anything to them about it. Do you do that in front of people outside the church? Certainly we see that. Like I said, we see that online all the time. People do that in front of the watching world. When you were last bothered, did you speak up in love? Or did you harbor resentment? Not wishing to be patient with the process of reconciliation. When you think of your brothers and sisters in Christ, even in this room, are you tender-hearted? Are you tender-hearted toward everybody here? Do you right now think fondly of each other? Or do you love all but simply put up with most? Do you not have the endurance to afford them your open rebuke? Too much work to say anything to that person. Sometimes when people give me open rebuke, they like to add other people to it. They like to say, well, other people feel the same way about you, Josh. And I get that, because, you know, sometimes, well, you know, I get that. You get that, too. But where are those other people? It's just part of the gossip, right? 
Why don't those other people have the endurance to afford open rebuke? In other words, if you have a problem with me, you need to be patient with the process of having a relationship with me. Because if I have a problem with you, I will be patient with the process of having a relationship with you. Because it is a process. And it does take endurance. People say, well, the conversation is just too hard. I don't want to have that conversation with you, Josh. It's just too hard. It'll take too much time. You'll go here and you look at everything so microscopically and blah, 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 blah. That is BS. The truth is, you're not patient. That's the truth. The truth is, is that you don't want to wrestle with the image of God inside of me. You would rather just write that off because you don't have endurance. And you know what happens to people who don't have endurance? But they claim God and they want God to give them that endurance? Suffering. Because that's how we learn endurance. Sure, you could stand by another person in trial. A Christian brother or sister in trial. But would you want to eat a meal? Ah, see, there's the question. Would you want to eat a meal, watch a show, or just even hang out with the other person? Yes, we're willing to stand arm in arm, side by side, when we come up against that persecution. But how about go get a meal with that person? Do you need that trial to bring you together? We all remember the last time that we were wronged, always. And we all will remember the last time we remained to feel uncomfortable by another believer. Here's a question for you. When was the last time that in the name of Christ you forgave a brother or a sister? Do you remember that? And when I say that, I don't mean in secret. Because oftentimes, the reason why we forgive in secret is because we're afraid that if the details come out, then you'll find out that maybe you were wrong and you're the one who actually wronged that person. So we keep, we keep it a secret and we say, I forgive you, but I didn't open rebuke you because that's too much work, so I just forgive you. Mm, that's not really forgiveness. And that's not really patience. That's being a coward. So we always remember when we were wronged and who wronged us. Do we remember when we forgave? Do we remember when we were forgiven? When did you allow forgiveness last? When were you so patient with the process that you allowed for the possibility of reconciliation? When did you allow someone to be forgiven or for you to accept forgiveness from somebody else. How radically different is your mindset on what patience means? Does your patience make you act different than your friends and your family and those who do not have God in their lives? Does your patience allow you to not lose heart? 
Does your patience give you a new strength each day? Does your patience make you incorrigible against waves of despair? Does it make you incorrigible against villainous enemies? Does your patience take away your fears as you get older and more mature? How radically different is your mindset on what patience means? Remember Isaiah 40, 31, it says, Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Do you wait on the Lord? Go discuss.